Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Crime scene cleaner with stories to tell. When sneaking out goes wrong. And an odd man who turns out to be a cannibal. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back in, everyone. I'm your host, Chad. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. So brace yourself. This is Disturbed. We finally did it. We're on to 2021. A new year and a fresh start. But horror doesn't stop just because of a date on the calendar. And because of that, we carry on. Imagine being a crime scene cleanup tech. The things you'd see on the job would be hard to describe at times. But luckily, we have Reddit user Testicles620 to tell us all about his experiences in the field. Performing this experience is Tom Aglio. To start out, you need a little backstory to show how I got into this situation. When I got out of high school around 2003, finding a job was difficult, so I took whatever horrible jobs I could to get by. When I found a job cleaning fire and water damage full-time, I was excited to have steady income and start saving. But this quickly turned into a nightmare that I had to endure for almost two years. The company I worked for put me on my first job, which was a water damage claim, where a basement flooded with sewage. So after a few days of work, we finished and it was on to the next job. My boss then called me into his office the next morning and told me about a special crew that he was setting up and asked if I would be the crew leader supervising three other guys that were just hired. I found this strange, as I had only been working there a total of around three days, but figured my work ethic was already paying off and I would get a raise. I only made 10 an hour to start. Not only did I not get that raise, but I got no training in the new position other than a work van with cleaning material, and the phone numbers for the three new guys that also were hired in to do fire water damage cleanup. The boss told me what tools were best to use and what cleaning products to use to sanitize along with where everything was located in the van, with hazmat suits and respirators, but he was vague about what kinds of things I would clean up. He just said the situations were always different and I would get detailed instructions each job. He called my position CSC crew leader. 
The boss told me that I would never have to see the deceased as the coroner would have the remains gone by the time my crew got there, and to use my logic to determine what needed to be removed from the homes and what could be cleaned. The first job I had in my new position, which the boss told me about when I got to the office, was cleaning up the remains of an elderly man or woman who died in their house and had been laying in chair. When we arrived, the coroner had me come inside to show me a few things that were considered hazardous material and needed to be removed due to the risk of disease. I guess my boss knew a few people from the county coroner's office, and much of the work came from their recommendations. Not only was the deceased still in the house, but was fully visible to me and the other guy, and you could smell the rot through the masks as the house had no AC, and this was mid-June. The coroner was backed up and waiting on additional people to show up to load the body as it was falling apart. And I call it the body because I honestly couldn't tell if it was male or female, and was trying not to look too long as it was disturbing. The other three guys I worked with handled it well, but two got sick from the smell and had to go outside to puke. We all waited outside after the coroner showed us the chair, the fluids that leaked into the carpet and the basement where the fluids went through the subfloor and puddled on some boxes in the basement. The coroner's support arrived and took the deceased out, and me and the crew started working. After about five minutes, weird things started to happen, the first of which was when I began to disassemble the chair. I had removed the back of the chair and was putting it into the special hazmat bags that I was given, and the base started to rock when I was about 10 feet away, putting the bag with the back of the chair by the front door. Nobody else was in the same room as the other guys were in the basement dealing with moving boxes. I brushed it off and took apart the base of the chair as much as I could, and when I got it into the bag, I got a chill up my back and then began feeling sick. I just figured it was the shock of what I was cleaning hitting me and pushed on, even though the chill was strange as I was very hot and full hazmat in June. Next was removing the carpet and assessing the floor to see if it would be able to be cleaned or if I had to remove a section of the floor. So I called the boss to ask him and he told me just to pour the special cleaner on the area to soak into the floorboards and it would be fine. So I got it out of the truck where he said it was and brought it inside. When I got inside, all three of the guys in the basement were scrambling to get out of the basement, tripping over each other, and all three ran outside. When I asked them what was up, all three said there was someone in the cluttered basement, and they assumed it was a homeless person or junkie. Detroit has many issues with these kinds of things. I listened at one of the open windows to the basement. It's kind of the first thing we did when we started working. Open any window possible, prop the doors open, so maybe someone got inside then or possibly before we got there and was hiding. After listening a few minutes and hearing nothing, me and another of the workers went inside, armed with a mag light and a piece of metal fence post, and searched the basement. Nothing was down there but the footprints of the shoe covers we used. But when we started up the stairs, we heard a horrible hacking cough from somewhere in the basement. When we looked for it, there was nothing but... The corner of the basement had a bunch of dust stirred up like someone was moving things very recently that weirded us both out. We called the guys back in and they got back to the boxes, but all of them kept feeling like they were being touched while throwing away material from the boxes that got fluids on them. I went back to my upstairs job but found that the cleaner I put next to the floorboards was gone, and I started getting frustrated as it was the only jug I had of this cleaner. And I clearly remember it being set next to the area before the guys ran up the stairs and my attention was redirected. I began to take out trash, figuring I would find it eventually, or the basement guys took it from the floor. 
and I found it on its side behind the bag that had the back of the chair. This is impossible. There were like six other bags in front of this one near the front door, and this was a gallon bottle of cleaner. Again, I got a chill, but this one was brought on by what sounded like a whisper that I could not make out the words to. I cleaned the floorboards and moved out trash. Job complete. That night, each member of my crew had a dream about an older man telling us we were not welcome in his home, touching his belongings, and we need to leave. In my dream, I was alone in his house. The old man cried and told me I was destroying his things and he couldn't replace anything. He was trying to push me out of his house, but it was like I was ignoring him, even when he would push me and scream at me. No reaction from me. He then threw my cleaner into the garbage pile I had made by the front door, exactly where I found it. Two of the three guys in the crew told me their dreams about the old man pushing them as they went through boxes of ruined pictures and other old stuff that needed to be thrown out due to the risk of disease from his fluids. They also said it was like they had no control and were on autopilot. They said they were so sad but couldn't do anything. The thing that got me about the dreams of the other two guys was they both said the man was getting so upset that he began violently coughing and that the man kept grabbing their arms when they would touch boxes or throw things into the trash. Neither of the guys were in the house when me and the other guy heard the coughing from the basement. The guy that went into the basement with me said he had a dream, but all he remembered was waking up sad, like he did something wrong, and had a horrible coughing fit, which might just be a coincidence, but I connected it in my mind as relating to the other dreams. We all talked about it and came to the conclusion that we were all just having a reaction to a situation, and it was nothing more than our brains coping with what we had to do. I'm very into psychology, so I rationalized it the best I could, and we hoped for better assignments the next day. Next few jobs were not so bad, cleaning up blood at a home invasion, no casualty, but huge mess. Then there was a few other bloody crime scenes with casualties, but nothing notable happened. About two weeks into the job, we began to learn the tricks of the trade and were split into two different groups that I was responsible to manage as crew leader so I would have to go to different sites if the other two guys had an issue or didn't know what to do. I thought I was getting used to the job as well as the other guys, as we had no other experiences like the first job, but I was wrong. The next job that there was activity was a suicide of a man that was middle-aged. The coroner had already removed the body, but it was a mess. The guy had shot himself with what I think was a large caliber handgun or shotgun, as the spray was everywhere in the basement in like a second living room. There were skull fragments lodged in drywall, brain matter all over, and again, he was not found for a bit, so the smell was horrible. To make matters worse, the family of the man had come over and were crying upstairs, but the vacuum noise helped to cancel out that. While I was cleaning, the power to the lights went out and it was completely pitch black. This was strange because my vacuum was still powered. My crewmate started screaming at this point, so I turned off my vacuum and climbed off my ladder. I thought maybe he touched a wire to the lights, but when my vacuum unit was turned off, he was still screaming, and I could hear things being knocked over. I started fumbling around for my flashlight on my tool belt and yelled for my friend asking what was going on, but all I got back was panicked screaming. Then I saw in the pitch black something darker that was moving in my direction, and I will admit I freaked out. I slipped trying to back up still looking in my belt for the flashlight and found it when my back hit the basement wall. I turned on the light aimed at the blackest shape I have ever seen, and when the light turned on, I saw the shape of a man wearing a flannel shirt, beard, 
and an expression like he was about to attack me. Then it was just gone. My crewmate was behind where the entity was, sitting on the floor rocking with his hands on his head. When I approached, he picked up his flashlight off the ground and turned it on, then ran up the stairs and outside and threw up. I followed behind him asking if he was okay and why he was screaming. I thought I just imagined the entity and the man because his screaming scared me. But he told me that he was scrubbing the wall and felt something pulling on something in his tool belt and he thought it was me. But when he turned around, the lights went out and he was engulfed by what he said was like dark smoke and he immediately could not breathe and was struggling to move. He managed to pull his flashlight out but it was knocked out of his hand like his wrist was grabbed with force and he managed to scream. When he screamed, trinkets started falling off an entertainment center that was about three feet to his side and the black smoke moved back, but he was close to passing out from exertion. He also said he lost hearing and didn't know that any noise came out when he started screaming and that the stuff falling off the shelves was landing on him and that's why he was covering his head. And he said it felt like a weight was lifted off him when the dark smoke backed up, but he felt sick right away and the light from my flashlight made the sick feeling increase. We took an early lunch where he just sat there, pale as ever, and didn't say much other than he said he breathed in that smoke and didn't feel right. I got him some Gatorade and his color started to come back. I never told him I saw a man when I turned on my light, because we still needed to finish and I didn't want to put that in his head, since he never mentioned seeing it. When we went back, the lights in the basement were on again. Half the things that fell from the shelves were back on the entertainment center, and the TV was on baseball. There was also a different smell in the room, similar to burnt hair. My worker stayed a half hour, got sick again, and went home for the day, leaving me alone to finish, which I didn't want to do but had to do as the other guys had their own job. After cleaning up everything with my vacuum, I began scrubbing the old blood, which is hard after it congeals, mix in brain matter, and it's like glue, even with the cleaner. While I was finishing up, I kept seeing the shape of a person always in the side of my vision. Each time I would smell that strange burnt hair scent and a few times, I also felt like a force was pulling at items on my belt. Not sure what item as there were several things in my belt. When I finished the job, I went to use the bathroom upstairs and in the hallway along the way, I heard like muffled crying or moaning. I froze up and stayed still thinking maybe a family member had come back and when I panned around there was nothing but I saw a picture on the wall of a man with a beard wearing a flannel. Several other pictures in the hallway of other scenarios of the same man, different flannels with deer or fish or family. I had not seen a picture of that man as I had not been anywhere else in the house with a bathroom, nor did I use the bathroom downstairs because pulling off the hazmat stuff is a pain. As I was securing the house, closing all windows, locking doors, and shutting down every light but the front porch light, I saw the front curtain move and again saw the darker than black form in the front window. The last experience I will share in this thread happened mid-July in a very bad area in Detroit. There had been an incident where a guy supposedly tried to abduct a child, was stopped by people in the neighborhood who beat the man very bad and he escaped to his house, where the neighborhood people quickly called police and civilians surrounded the man's house to prevent escape. The police response time in this area is horrible. The people were throwing rocks through the man's window and damaged his car. The man was hurt bad by the mob and was hurt by a rock or glass and died in the home. This is assumption by DPD, from what the police officer told me. It was a misunderstanding and the man picked up a girl that was injured riding her bike 
and some kids that knew her told their parents that the man was kidnapping her, and people overreacted and the man was brutally beaten. The cleanup was pretty simple to do. We secured windows, cleaned up blood and bodily fluid, but as soon as I entered the house, I just felt wave after wave of fear and sadness. Like I never felt this before, and it hit in waves that made my legs weak. My working buddy who was there showed up late and didn't get the story from the cops like I did, but experienced the same feelings I had. The whole time we were there, we saw a form darting around corners like it was watching us, then hiding. It was similar to like a small bit of fog or mist. We also heard very slight cries for help coming from several areas in the house. And also what sounded like, please stop, and long no a few times from the crowd came back and yelled at the house also. And when this was going on, the activity in the house increased, and we could hear running footsteps going up the stairs, a door slam, and it sounded like the front door would open and close, but we never saw any of the doors move. The path of the footsteps sounded like from the front door, through the living room, to the bathroom, to stairs to the upstairs bungalow room. The part that really got me was I could feel the floor impacts that felt like the vibrations of someone running past me when I was cleaning the areas. And each time I would be hit by one of those waves of fear and sadness. When we left the house, there were a few people on porches hanging out like as usual during summer, and the people were still hostile and yelling random things but directed at us as we loaded the van and took off hazmat suits. We ignored this, but before we had loaded all the material from the house into the van and locked the house, the front door slammed hard enough to sound like a gunshot, which scared me and my crew member, along with the people on the front porch to the point where they went inside. The front door deadbolt was somehow locked and we could not get it open. I think it was a different key than the knob. So we ended up leaving several boards in the house that were left over from boarding a few of the windows. The feeling of relief when I left the house was like night and day. Inside, I was anxious, scared, paranoid, and just really down, which could be due to knowing the story, but when I got outside, it was like flipping a light switch. I immediately felt better, and me and the other guy and my crew were joking and laughing about dumb stuff and normal 19 and 20-year-old shenanigans. I have many of these stories written down in detail in a journal I started after the first three months of working at this job. I talked to the guys on the crew and got other strange stories from them too. I know that some of this could very well be formed by my subconscious mind to cope with traumatic situations, but some of it has no explanation. And when I hear other members of my crew tell me their stories when they haven't been influenced by mine, that is a horse of a different color. When I have time, I will pull out the journal and give more of my experiences. The job got way worse when I started the journal after three months in several experiences with what I think was paranormal, many situations that stressed my mental state to the point where my mask of sanity started to slip. In the end, I worked at this place for almost two years, and of my crew, all died. Two from suicides, one from drug overdose that could have been intentional, but we will never know. I just know that when these three guys my age, around 19 and 20, started this job, all were normal, well-adjusted guys with no cares in the world other than girls, parties, and working. I watched each one of them slowly drain their joys and passion for life. And I know this sounds bad, but each one that died was considerate enough to die in a clean way. Most likely so another person wouldn't have to see the horrible thing that we all saw so often.
And as we always do, it's time to acknowledge some Patreon supporters for helping to keep the show running smoothly. Amy Quick and Adrian Anderson. Thanks so much for supporting the show. They're all enjoying an ad-free listening experience, early access, and our bonus series of disturbing calls. Six bonus episodes await all Patreon members and are available to binge right now. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to join today. Next up, Reddit user MusicBam had to learn the hard way why it may be a bad idea to sneak out of the house. Performing this experience is Sarah Thomas. To start this off, I'd like to give a bit of context. This happened four years ago. I'm a girl, and at the time this happened, I was 12 going on 13 in just a month or two. The friend I mention in this story was 14 at the time. The friend, Sally, who I was staying with that night, was quite a bit older than me. At least at the time, the two-year age gap was quite big. At 12 to 13 years old, I was about to start my second year of middle school, whereas Sally should have been about to begin her sophomore year of high school. I met her in the beginning of my first year at a new school. She was older than the other kids in our grade and was considered one of the popular kids, and I think that was what drew me to her at first. We became fast friends, and before we knew it, we were spending every weekend together. Seriously, every single weekend. Nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. It was your typical Friday night. We carpooled to her family's apartment after school. I've always been a picky eater, so when her family had dinner, I didn't eat with them. I just snacked on the Pop-Tart that I'd stowed away in my backpack in case they ordered something that I wouldn't eat. Something to note is that her family was pretty religious. I wouldn't go as far as to say they were fanatics, but they didn't allow their kids to watch horror movies or anything that was rated PG-13 or older. It didn't stem from the desire to protect them from something inappropriate, Sally's mother had an irrational fear that scary movies had satanic messages. We asked to watch The Purge, and her mom obviously said no. After some negotiating, she agreed to let us watch Hunger Games instead. After the movie, Sally and I went to hang out in her room. She put on some music, and being the age we were, we gave each other makeovers. By the end of it, we were looking much older than just 12 and 14. This part of the night is when things started to seem off to me. Despite being my best friend at the time, she was manipulative and got off on putting me down. She had a habit of talking to men online and lying about her age. She showed me some texts between her and the man she was talking to. I can't give you an exact recount of them, but they consisted of him trying to convince her to meet up with him and just the usual things you'd expect from a creep online. According to him, he was 19, tall, and blonde with soulful blue eyes. Once I saw the texts, I asked if she had a picture of him. Something didn't sit right with me after seeing the messages. She showed me what he looked like, and he was very clearly not 19. This man was at least 40 and looked like he lived in his mother's basement. 
Then we got a call from him. Sally answered without hesitation, and when I heard the voice on the other end of the call, I felt like I was going to be sick. You're so pretty. Why don't you come meet me? He asked. Sally said that she couldn't because she was spending the night with a friend. The mention of that sparked his interest, and then he proceeded to try and ask us both to meet him. Sally, lacking any common sense, said yes. Thus began her plan for us to sneak out and walk 15 blocks to meet him in a deserted McDonald's parking lot. I didn't want to go. I was raised on stories of what happens to teen girls who meet random men from the internet in person. But after adamant pleading from Sally that she didn't feel safe going by herself, I agreed. We took our phones with us for the walk. I had a kitchen knife stuffed in my bra in case something were to happen and I needed to defend myself. The route we had to take to get there didn't have very many street lamps, and there weren't any houses. We were surrounded by trees on both sides of us. When we got to the parking lot, the only car parked nearby was a black, beat-up 2000 Toyota Corolla. The car was still running when we got there, and from what we could tell, there was more than one person inside. The man from the picture got out of the front passenger seat and left the door open behind him before approaching us. I turned my flash on so I could see, and he was obviously on something. I can't tell you what kind of drug it was for the life of me, but his eyes were so wide they looked like they were about to pop out of his head. He was jittery and kept twitching. I became very conscious of how big he was. Maybe six foot two, around 280 pounds. For reference, my friend and I did not look our ages, even without makeup. I'm about 5'2". My friend was pretty tall, probably 5'6 or 5'7". We were both significantly smaller than him. The man reached out for us and caught my friend by the arm. I went to get my knife as quickly as I could, and that's when I saw his friends getting out of the car. He invited us back to his car and offered us booze and drugs. But after seeing my knife and that I was ready to call the police, he released my friend. I took Sally's arm and ran faster than I ever had in my entire life. We took the long way home to avoid them finding out where she lived in case they were following us. Once we got there, her family was still sound asleep. We locked all the doors, closed the blinds, and blocked him on everything. There wouldn't be any sleeping that night. We were constantly peeking out the window, and to our dismay, the same Toyota was circling around her apartment building. Not once, not twice, but three times. I never mentioned any of this to my parents out of fear of getting grounded or in trouble. I'm 16 now and they still have no clue. I still get nervous when I see a car similar to the one from that night. As for Sally, her parents never found out either. We agreed to never speak about it again. Thankfully, she moved into a new house just a few weeks after that happened. Safe to say Sally and I haven't spoken in three years. She was pissed at me for ruining her night, and our friendship didn't last for long after that. We had a pretty bad falling out, but looking back on it now, it was definitely for the better. So, to Sally, thank you for teaching me a very valuable lesson and making me realize that some people are best just left alone. 
and to the man and his friends who tried to prey upon two young girls, let's not ever fucking meet again. This episode of Disturbed is made possible by Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players you love. If you enjoy our show and are looking to buy a new jersey, sweatshirt, or hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and getting 25% off your next order. I've personally picked up several hats and shirts from my favorite teams. The quality is always great and I always get my items super fast. Go to podgo.co slash fanatics and get 25% off your order today. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Now back to the show. Where do we draw the line between someone who is just odd or eccentric and someone who is capable of something much darker? Reddit user Anna Molly Lives had an experience with a man that was on the wrong side of that line. Performing this experience is Nicole Goodnight. A few years ago, I worked at a small local pet store during college. I was one of two women who worked there and we didn't generally work at nights together. The store kind of specializes in saltwater fish and reptiles in particular. So it wasn't too odd to have newbie reptile or aquarium people or people looking to just learn some more before actually getting a little companion. About a year into me working there, this one man would come in and start asking questions about the bearded dragons in particular. I humored him the first couple times he came in and answered his questions for an hour and a half to two hours each time he came in. But then he just 
kept coming in. Not buying anything, not looking at other animals, refused to talk to my other co-workers standing right next to me. He was definitely a dude with a creepy vibe, but after about the third time this guy came in and questioned me about bearded dragon mating habits for an hour, we all started getting uncomfortable. He knew my schedule because we were such a small store. I would call my friends and tell them to come hang out at the shop while he was there because he was just so persistent about talking to me, and only about the bearded dragons with the occasional, do you have a boyfriend, or pickup line. I told him I wasn't interested each time and told him I had a boyfriend, even though I didn't. At first we were all pretty forgiving, chalking it up to social awkwardness, but it started getting scary when he'd come in, look for me, not find me, but he'd find my car with significant damage at the time and decorated very obviously my car back then and just hang out outside the shop. My boss and managers started telling me to hide out in our back employees only rat mouse room when he'd come in. My friends were weirded out. I was getting uncomfortable around him and my co-workers were actively trying to curb his enthusiasm for coming in. I ended up quitting that job. About a month later, I'm watching the news with my dad and... Oh, buddy, were we in for a surprise? This same guy had been escorted off his ex's property in a local town by police, came back to the house the same night, and murdered her. When she didn't show up for work, her co-workers called for a welfare check. Police get there, he answers the door and tells them his name is Zeus, which it, it most definitely was not his real name. Let's the police in, and they found her in the bathtub on a tarp. They also found bloody plates, silverware, and pans in her sink. He had cooked and eaten parts of her heart, liver, and brain. He's still waiting for trial in our state, and his interviews, clips of news people questioning him while the police are escorting him to court are just bonkers. He tried to claim demonic possession at one point. He had previously murdered two people and had been released from prison before moving to our area. Trust your instincts about the people you interact with. People are wild. Let's definitely not meet again. Disturbed is a Disturbed Media original podcast. Musical score by White Bat Audio, Co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.